0: Welcome back to season three, episode two of Sorted SF, a podcast where I tell you stories of things I find interesting about San Francisco. Um, To kick it off, I'm sure you saw last week, San Francisco birthed a new sinkhole, which I thought was like the first one we have ever had, but I did some Googling and I was wrong. Um, If you follow Sorted SF on Insta or TikTok, you'll have seen my videos about it. Um, And there were two major sinkholes since this one, or before this one happened. I'd argue they were actually a lot bigger than our Pack Heights sinkhole, but, you know, I'm open to, open to debate. Um, there was one big one following the 1906 earthquake where the shaking of the earthquake caused two broken water mains. The water from the pipes liquefied the ground and opened up a sinkhole right under the Valencia Hotel, and at least 40 people drowned in that sinkhole. So, real bad day. And then another whopper in 1995 was a sinkhole that opened up in Seacliff due to overpressurized sewer drains caused by a crazy ass rainstorm. This happened right down the block from where I used to live, over near 24th and Lake in West Clay Park. My mom always talked about a house collapsing when she'd come visit, but I never knew the context. Um if you can picture turning down the road off 25th Avenue like you're driving to Baker Beach almost immediately to the right is a sign letting you know you're in the national park and right there is where a massive house used to be and that's the house that got sunk into sucked sunk sucked into the sinkhole. Um it's still an empty lot but the city I think like put an easement through the West Clay Park neighborhood so now like the lot and the national park um like a connecting path so you can really easily get to the beach from the neighborhood, which is really nice. Um, what's even more crazy though, is like this house, you can see a picture on my Instagram, but it was just, it was massive. I think I read somewhere it was like an eight bedroom or something. It was like fucked up big. And, uh, it was estimated to cost $2.6 million. So, which is basically what a 900 square foot house Uh, It's costing now. So, you know, inflation. For this week's episode, I'm super excited to be sharing the story of Mary Ellen Pleasant. Sources include the New York Times, SF Heritage, FoundSF, and obviously Wikipedia. She had many nicknames, including Mammy and Mammy Pleasant, which is how she is famously known. But she's quoted as saying she absolutely hated that something like, quote, I'm not everyone's mammy, so we're just going to call her Mary Ellen. Mary Ellen Pleasant was born around 1814, some say on a Georgia plantation. In her autobiography, however, um, she stated, I'm not going to say the word, um, but she stated her mother was a full-blooded person of color from Louisiana, and her father was Hawaiian. And she also insisted that she had been born in Philadelphia Um, It's said that she had so many stories about her origins so that she could please her audience or justify her behavior. When Mary Ellen was 10, legend has it her mother disclosed that she was descended from a succession of voodoo queens of Santo Domingo. Around this time, her mother also disappeared, and she lived with a family called the Williams. However, it's also said she was sold to a man in New Orleans Americus Price, who placed her in a convent, so it gets rather confusing. If you remember what I said previously, she had a lot of stories about herself to fit the audience. So regardless of the origin though, she ends up living in Cincinnati for a time, and then eventually ended up in Nantucket as a domestic servant for the Hussey family. Maybe it's Hussey, H-U-S-S-E-Y, I'm just gonna say Hussey, um she learned quickly that the invisibility of service was something she could turn to her advantage she turned her time as a servant in new england into a kind of finishing school she also worked at the local general store that the hussies owned where she picked up on other social cues quote i often wonder what i would have been with an education pleasant said in her autobiography i have let books alone and studied men and women a good deal I've always noticed that when I have something to say, people listen. They never go to sleep on me. So the thing about the Hussies is that they were major abolitionists. So our girl Mary Ellen was also learning about the movement the whole time she was with them. It was during her time with the Hussies she also got married to a James Smith, a potentially mixed race, wealthy former plantation owner and fellow abolitionist. Mary Ellen and James worked on the Underground Railroad together. They coordinated transportation through contacts in Nantucket and New Bedford, Massachusetts, Ohio, and perhaps even New Orleans. Smith was an agent for The Liberator, an anti-slavery newspaper published by William Lloyd Garrison. And after Smith's death, after four years of marriage, Mary Ellen continued her work as a conductor on the Underground Railroad. What sucks, though, is that he was apparently super abusive, and he, got, he left her with a bunch of money. Um, so that's how their marriage ended. He died. She got left money. But he sucked. Um, her time working the Underground Railroad was dangerous. And she was harassed, obviously, for helping runaways and ultimately had to leave the East Coast. They were in danger from slavers as well as subject to prosecution and imprisonment under the Fugitive Slave Act of 1793 and later the Act of 1850 that imposed new penalties on those in the Underground Railroad. So, bringing it a little bit more relevancy now, in 1848, the gold rush began and word soon spread that even um, black people were free to seek their fortune on the West Coast. Pleasant heeded the call. The California gold rush provided a unique opportunity for African-Americans, as one African-American miner wrote to his wife, quote, This is the best place for black folks across the globe. All a man has to do is work and he will make money. And so many of these African-Americans who traveled to the West Coast made a lot of money through prospecting. Since only one out of ten pioneers coming to the state were women, Mary Ellen realized that she could seize a very lucrative opportunity to cook and provide lodging for the miners, but obviously easier said than done. American southerners also came to California for gold, and they took a lot of their enslaved people with them. There were slave catchers and slaveholders who came looking for runways. Governor Peter. Hardiman Burnett was one of these Southerners who wanted to eliminate all black people from the state. In addition, there was a California law that allowed many, allowed any black person to be sold into slavery if they did not have appropriate papers, which is fucked up, and I don't know what constitutes as appropriate papers. Um, but nevertheless, Mary Ellen made the call to go. When she arrived in San Francisco, word had spread that she would be arriving. She had like developed a name for herself, I guess. Um, And so she was met by a group of men who got into a bidding war to engage her as a cook for them. She's said to have $15,000 in gold coins when she arrived to San Francisco, which in today's equivalent is $527,640 in 2002 money. Or 2022 money, excuse me. She exchanged gold into silver in Panama. Remember, you had to take a boat to get to the bay. So she took the Panama canal and it was in Panama. She exchanged gold into silver. And then back at a time when the value or when the value of gold was high, she cashed out for silver. Then she deposited the silver into a bank and took it out in gold. And she was able to just like turn money rapidly. She put some of her money into a number of banks and she also divided money between a black Baptist minister, um, and a couple other people with a 10% interest rate. So, girl was hustling. So like I mentioned, she got work as a cook and a domestic servant. While doing this, she eavesdropped on wealthy people that she served and using the information that she overheard, it like took their advice that they were telling to each other about what to invest in, and then she invested in those same things. Um quote from her biographer It's quite possible that the job she had as a domestic servant were a cover that she was using because she clearly made money from investments. So she left San Francisco briefly from 1857 to 1859 to help John Brown, um, and he was a big-time abolitionist back um, in the East. She was said to have actively supported his cause with money and work. There was a note from her in his pocket when he was arrested after the Harper's Ferry armory incident, which I'll get to in a sec, but it was only signed with the initials MEP, her initials, which were misread as WEP, and so she wasn't caught. Um, the Harper's Ferry armory incident was a revolt of enslaved people led by this guy, John Brown, and it's actually like called the precursor to the Civil War. Um, but so, basically, um, John Brown Mary Ellen Pleasant and a bunch of other folks um, kind of did, I don't want to say mutiny. It was just a, it was a rebellion an anti-slavery abolitionist um, rebellion at this harbor. And um, it ended up resulting in John Brown being hung December 2nd, 1859 for murder and treason. And so I mentioned that there was a note and the note in the pocket said, the ax is laid at the foot of the tree. When the first blow is struck, there will be more money to help. Officials likely believe that it was written by a wealthy northerner who had helped fund Brown's attempt to incite and arm um, this uprising. Uh, No one ever expected that it was written by Mary Ellen. Fast forward to when Mary Ellen was dying. She reported... She was reported as saying, before I pass away, I wish to clear the identity of the party who furnished John Brown with most of his money to start the fight at Harper's Ferry and who signed the letter found on him when he was arrested. The sum that she had donated was $30,000, which is the 2022 equivalent of $977,111. So this woman was like rich, rich. She just donated that to the cause, which, like, badass. Um, She said that this was the most important and significant act in her life. After John Brown was hung, she returned to San Francisco. When she got there, she established boarding houses, a string of laundries, and brothels. It said a lot of the boarding houses were just covers for the brothels, but maybe she also had some straight brothels as well. She was a co-founder of the Bank of California and established several restaurants, including Kaysenheiser. John James Pleasant, her new husband, uh, went with her to San Francisco, but he was a sea cook who was often at sea during their 30-year marriage, and he died in 1877. Um, In the 1890 census, she stated that she was a capitalist by profession. So, like, the space where it says, like, you know, what's your job? What's your employment? Capitalist. She's like, okay, girl. One of the reasons she's not known to students of U.S. history and Americans is because a lot of the activities that she was involved in were either controversial or secret, said her biographer. Her legacy is not the pure, selfless freedom fighter or heroine As how Harriet Tubman is described, Pleasant did not fit that mold. The rest of Pleasant's life was full of fortune and power, infamy and blame. She formed a decades-long business partnership, which was possibly romantic, with a white man named Thomas Bell. After his death, it turned out that much of Pleasant's portfolio, including the giant mansion she had designed and built, were held in his name. Historians believe that the pair used his name in many of the business dealings to facilitate... What surely would have been more difficult for a woman, especially a black woman, Bell's widow sued Pleasant and won control of the Bell estate, and uh, Mary Ellen was left with nothing. <laughs> Flash forward to today, there is a Mary Ellen Pleasant Day and a Mary Ellen Pleasant Park, and she is praised as the mother of civil rights in California. She was the inspiration for a book by Michelle Cliff called *Free Enterprise*, and tours of the city often refer to the corner of Octavia and Bush streets where her mansion once stood. Um, I have, I'll have a picture of that on the Instagram if you want to see her block-sized mansion. Um, she planted a bunch of eucalyptus trees right before her death that still stand. Um, those will be on Insta as well. Sixty years after her death, her gravestone was amended with a line that she had asked for on her deathbed. It just took people fucking 60 years to make it happen. And it says... A friend of John Brown, really solidifying herself as like one of the great abolitionists of you know history. As she once said herself, I'd rather be a corpse than a coward, which is a pretty fucking badass motto. And that is the story of Mary Ellen Pleasant, San Francisco's abolitionist queen. Um I really didn't know too much about her and you know i guess a lot of it does have to do with the she doesn't fit the cookie cutter pg rated mold if she's having affairs and owning brothels and stuff but yeah what a entrepreneurial spirit good good for her good for her um yeah all right well thanks for listening um i'll see you next week okay bye i love you